Mike. Hey, Michelle. Welcome back to West Coast Project. Finally, yeah. We missed you last week. You and Sarah did such a great job. Y'all did a really good podcast. Did you have any commentary about last week's happy episode that you missed? Um... You know what? Honestly, Sarah covered a lot of the things that I was thinking. Um, I, I didn't really make any notes of anything that um, that I would have said differently. There was one or two things, I think, but I didn't write them down, so I don't remember off the top of my head. If I remember them, though, I'll let you know. But um, So you're saying you didn't watch it? <laughs> I did watch it. I did watch it. Well, what did you think of the finale, Michelle, for Eleven Storia Americana? Um, so disappointed. I'm so disappointed in this. Um, I have very little good to say about this, and I'm really, really frustrated that I don't. Um, the first six, well, seven, because the first one was two episodes, I thought were great. I thought they were really great, and I thought the story was great, and I loved everything about it. And then they did that Wizard of Oz episode. And then the last two episodes, it was like they just gave up. First of all, everything was different. I could tell things were different and I don't know that I really keyed in on everything but the fact that it was several months in between filming episode 7 and epi- or episode 8 and episode or whichever the first how many ever and then the last two it just felt off to me even if the storyline had been different everything about it just felt off um, how do you feel about this episode this episode? Yeah, because that's kind of commentary on the season, but how about this particular episode? I thought it was, I, well, and, and, and it kind of goes with last episode, too, but I I think it was just a uh, wrap it up, you know? It was almost like they... Wrap it Wrap it up, Diarlo. <laughs> what, what, what was the point, right? What was the point of this of this Fargo. Well, you know what? I just decided that because people um, people like this show so they listen to the podcast or they like us so they listen to the podcast. I don't know. I just, it's it was a scattered season. I Like I thought earlier, it said, I said it didn't have much of a storyline. It was just kind of a um, floating crime day-to-day what do families do in their crime endeavors. Didn't really have a plot. But um, I don't know, Michelle, I kind of decided that I like this show and I like watching the art of it and I like doing the podcast about it. So I'm not just gonna, I'm not going to be too critical of it. Okay. Um, I'm okay. taking away from this season that Ethel Rita is an element of hope in the world, kind of like Malvo or Varga or Anton Chigurh in the Cohen projects is an element of despair and evil where they kind of float through the world and wash over people and bring them misery. Right, I think there's I think there's things like Ethel Rita in the world that bring people hope. They are smart, they find cures for diseases or they invent cool new technologies or software, they write programs or they save people from being hungry or whatever good. I think that's 
a symbolic thing that Ethel Rita represented for me in this whole thing. And she stood out more to me than anything else. Yeah, but it felt so forced, you know? Like, they had her reading the thing at the end. And I know she started it, that we started out with her, and we ended with her, and I get it. But it just felt forced to me. And, you know, I, I completely get what you're saying, and I actually like that, too, that good versus evil, and particularly when uh, good wins and, you know, what the evil turns into after that happens. I think there's a lot of metaphorically uh, avenues that you can go down with this, but that's not what we're really talking about, right? What we're really talking about is the story, and this story sucked. It sucked. It was not worthy of a Fargo. I mean... It was just like, they just killed everybody. It's like, okay, we don't know what to do at the end. Let's just kill everybody. I mean, almost every single person dies. And then, what did they uh, do with it? Well, let's look at, instead of just whining and complaining, let's look at what Noah Hawley said. He did a couple of interviews recently. I read a couple of them. Oh, are you going to whine and complain about that, too? Yes, probably. <laughs> he describes Fargo as a tragedy with a happy ending. So that among all that bloodshed, this is almost verbatim, I'm going to try to summarize it, but among all, all that bloodshed, a few people do make it out. The Smutley family kind of makes it out. And and like I said, Ethel, he says also Ethel Rita um, emerges and goes off and leads an unremarkably positive life, which is what I kind of hoped for. I don't know if I said that with you or with Sarah, but that's what I was hoping we got from Ethel Rita. And that... I guess what I'm trying to say is almost good enough for me. That one one little person who has hope kind of saves the whole world. Because it gives hope to everybody else who can understand it. Yes. And I'm normally really positive on these. You know I am, and you know I really try to find the good. I really do. I'm going to have to throw a but in here, though. But... That's not the story we got. If this had been the back story and then we got Ethel Rita's story next time, lovely. Thank you. But we're not all in Noah Hawley's head. And we don't know this stuff. And we shouldn't have to Well, read. we saw Ethel Rita save her family from the crime. She extracted her family from the crime family. She appears to have gone off somewhere with her suitcases we don't really know where but it looks like with that painting she may have actually gotten herself to France where the original painting is and she's studying it or doing something I don't know there are kind of indications that she did make it through this she looked a little older and the way she was completing her report by reading it back to her parents it looks like it got well received and she got admitted somewhere or she's doing something really super positive so that's what I decided to take out of it okay also, Noah Hawley in these interviews um, says, because I was looking for the theme of this season, he says in season two, we looked at the death of family business and the rise of corporate America. Season three, we looked at the post-corporate offshore billionaire class. And this year, it was about going to the origins of original sins of American capital, which is exploiting free and cheap labor. So that was his idea of the thread, the theme, the plot. Yeah, yeah. I read where he said that, something like that, too. And he talked about 
um, I don't know, very negatively toward uh, Americans and America and, and our system and stuff like that. So that was off-putting to me as well. Um, I don't know. I just... But I didn't read that until after I had watched and taken all of my notes on the episode. Um, because I try really hard not to let the interviews and stuff like that influence me. But I don't know. I feel like he's so freaking full of himself right now. I feel like everything he puts out lately is just like this. Well, I know more than you and I'm grandiose. And here you must like come into my head. Where Why do you it's think that? I don't know. That's just like the, the feeling I get from this. It feels like we're supposed to know what he's thinking. And we don't know what he's thinking. So he gives interviews on what he's thinking so that we can then Well, make people some... ask him those specific questions. I know. But it's things that we would have no way to know. You know? We, we would have no way to know this stuff. But he says it like it's kind of common sense well and you would have ways to know it. michelle he saw the italian family family business crime family business mm -hmm. turn into a corporate a corporation where the family didn't matter matter we're paisans no it doesn't matter dude we're a corporation now and there's five guys behind me and a, a, we're a sea you're a fish in a big fish in a little pond we're the sea there's five guys behind me and a thousand guys behind them. It, it's, it is his story. He did say it that way. He didn't have he, to read an interview to see that. It, it did come through that way. But that wasn't... Yeah, that, that part did. But, but not his whole thing. Not about Orietta, or not Orietta, Ethel Rita going on and, and leading some kind of life. I mean, we, we don't get all that. And I know they throw these little things in there. They, like, throw these bones. But shouldn't it be more what we feel about it? Why don't you feel Ethel Rita is leading a positive life? No, I didn't, I didn't say I didn't. But I'm just saying that that wasn't the story. That wasn't the story to me at all. And what how, was the story to you? The story was very, like you have said several times, scattered. And it was really difficult to um, like anybody. It was difficult. The character development in this fell really flat to me, even with Ethel Rita. Um, All right, well, you're not the only one that didn't care for this season. A lot of people think this is the worst of the four for people who like to rank those types of things. I don't even think um, it's on the same same level. All right, well, let's try to yank ourselves out of this morass of misery that we've f fallen into. So Noah Hawley says he is thinking about a season five. He's not sure, because he didn't say that after season three. He's like, I don't know, I kind of, kind of think I've mined this idea pretty well thoroughly out but now he's saying it is kicking around ideas for season five um there's more to say about america the america we live in the ways it pushes people both to do their best and be their worst so that's encouraging if you're a fan of fargo that there might be more of this coming down the line yeah um what did you think of satchel being confirmed that he pretty much confirmed a hundred percent that he's mike milligan yeah, I mean, I think it was confirmed, right? He was driving down the road and had uh, thought flashback to when he was young and walking with Rabbit. 
I mean, that's pretty much confirming it to me. It was like a want wall, you know, because we knew, we knew. What do you think of the? What do you think of Satchel's um, future? His his role as Mike Milligan, or not role? He is Mike Milligan. His his fate as Mike Milligan is kind of dreary. He works for the. He ends up working for the Italians, the same organization that wiped out his father's family, his family. Well, wiped out their business. Yeah. The 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 Kansas City mobs who he ends up working for, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um And then yeah, even I'm, in that he's not a glorious like head of a family gangster. He gets kind of a Vic Mackey ending. He gets stuck in a corporate cubicle desk job, which is, you know, torture for a guy like him. Yeah, I, I don't think he had it um, very well. His father died. I don't imagine that Loy's 401k had a lot of money in it back then. I don't imagine that he had any kind of great life insurance back then that left the family with anything at all. And I think the family probably saw it pretty rough. So I think that was a really sad thing. I didn't I didn't find anything like uplifting about that also well who said that was uplifting i'm just saying that was interesting about of his 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 innocence and then his development in mike milligan is it's interesting i didn't say it was uplifting the only about the only thing uplifting is ethelreda and maybe the smutneys kind of getting clear of the mess they were in but even with ethelreda okay i mean Jeez, Michelle, come on. No. Well, I mean, do you want to hear what I think, or do you want me just to agree with you? She she had a choice with the information she had of going to the police or going to Loy. And she chose to go to Loy. And she did it for personal gain for her family. And look at all the people that got killed. You know, and I mean, I'm not judging what she did. I'm really not. But I'm just saying that was something that she has to live with now. And it's not just this happy-go-lucky. And I don't view her as any kind of, like, innocent in this. And add to the fact that how can she ever be with Lemuel when her aunt killed his father? I don't think she is with Lemuel. No, but I mean that was like this budding thing, right? He said. Yeah, but that's all it was. I think it was just a flirt, flirtation. Well, he said he was her suitor. Yeah. So what? Well, I mean, not everybody who has one suitor gets married and lives with that person for the rest of their life. That could have been a quick little boyfriend interaction because of the circumstance of the family being invaded by the Cannon crime group. He was proximate to her. He was right there. You know, they were the same age. Okay, but you you argued something different before. You know, you're the one who were talking about how they kind of had a little thing. Going. Well, they did, they did. But he I'm served his role within that by helping protect her from Orietta for a brief five minutes when she, you know, she even literally said at one point, "Just don't let her get to me" or something. He My served his is- part as a, as her same age romantic interest for whatever a month two weeks three days whatever i wasn't you know there wasn't supposed to be a marriage and a family 
you know. But it's just a, a very kind of not innocent. I don't know. It's... She was... She had to do things... To, I mean, her father, if anything, her father made a mistake by borrowing money. I don't know what he did. I can't remember if they told us, but I don't remember what he did to get into a hole where he had to borrow money from Loy. Um, he didn't seem to have any major vices, but whatever, whatever they needed or whatever, whatever he did it, he did it. And then she kind of pulled them out of that mess by her intelligence. By her intelligence, but look at the cost. Well, so that's the cost. Well, I mean, what I if, what if you say the cost of going to Harvard is some poor kid who can't get to Harvard because you're smart? You know, you you keep that person out of Harvard. There's, well, there's a but, cost. But there's what a, if you want to go to Harvard, but you have to, like, tell somebody something and get 57 people killed? I mean, there's there's a little bit of difference in, in, in like, you earning your way into something and you stumbling into something. And like I said, I'm, I'm not judging her. I'm really not, but it's just everything about it feels. So it would have feels, been more. It would have been a, a nicer Ethel Rita if she just went along and they were under the thumb of the Fadas forever, and she just <laughs> was subject to the whims I of didn't a. Say that at all. Well, what you're saying, what she did caused harm to other people. But if she did well, nothing, it, she could have just lived out her life in mediocrity and not have helped her family. Or she could have went to the police with the information that she had about Orietta in place of taking it to uh, Lloyd. Now, what if the police were under the payroll of... She, there's no way the high school student would have known that. There's yeah, but no what way. if they really were under the payroll of some parts of the crime family? They didn't extract themselves from the, the criminal... But she would not have known that, and she yeah, has she... to live with the consequent, with the choices that she made, and the consequences of the fallout. Like I said, again, she made her choice. It's just nothing feels good about that. You know, there there is no good in this. You didn't feel I... good about Ethelita outsmarting Orietta and outsmarting the the crime family. The innocent little teenage girl outsmarting the crime family is kind of a, a cool feel good for me I would feel better if it hadn't caused and they didn't um, murder a convent full of nuns they murdered criminal criminals murdered each other nothing about it feels good to me nothing about it does all right well perfect Michelle let's start our recap what <laughs> I don't know where you want to go from here because it, if it's just miserable and horrible I mean there's I mean, I've I chose to find those things that I liked about it. Well, I mean, I appreciate that, and there's things that I liked about it. But you're asking me about the overall stuff, and I have to tell you how I really feel about it, and that's really how I feel about it. I was very um, off-put about just okay, we'll just kill everybody. I mean, it was like, I mean, my you know nine-year-old grandson could have written this one, so. I just didn't think it was good. But there are a lot good in it. The cinematography is always the best. It is the best. This and True Detective, out of everything that I've watched or podcast, the cinematography just blows me away. And, you know, that's how we started this, was the tribute to all who had fallen. But 
then we had that Loy meeting with Ebal thing. What happened with Ebal in this? Well, I think he. I think he probably revealed his true colors. I think he probably didn't really change at the end. Although it appears to us like he's this nice guy who was senator, doctor, senator, friend, just totally flipped and changed. I think he kind of revealed his true colors, and that he's a criminal. You know, he's a he's an executive level criminal in yeah. this crime family and he had his advantage and he took his advantage and leveraged it and got what he could out of it as well as following orders from the bigger entity the corporate group from New York that was kind of directing and pulling his strings you know he was pretty ruthless and he's a criminal and it, and it came out but we liked him right yeah we I liked him all, I liked the fact that it, I liked I liked him all the way through so you like the fact that we didn't even know him. I like that he was interesting. This episode, you what know, you, we talked about he, he and and Doctor Senator having like the cool heads and being the ones that kept everything going, you know, well and and being the negotiators. Of but I think he continued that in this episode. Okay, I didn't think he did. I mean, he had lied. Well, not we're we're not there yet. But anyway, he's meeting. With, um, he got his. He got his. He accomplished his goals, and earlier his goals were always to keep kind of the families from killing each other until they had advantage, and then he had his advantage and he capitalized on it. But he's not a good person. I'm Who's not saying a he's a person? good person. I'm not looking for good people. I'm looking to be entertained, and I'm looking for interesting characters and that's what and they it, told us this in the last like 40 minutes of the whole anthology told us what that he was a ruthless guy and he wasn't who they had led us to believe the whole other time yeah and i don't know okay that they it. led us to believe that he's a nice guy that's gonna like a good guy maybe not no. a nice guy but a good guy a, a, a man of his word i think we would probably agree michelle what did the ring plot um, the ring reveal. Do you accept the plot that they used this ring to accomplish? Um, I don't know if I know what you're asking. Well, the that. ring, obviously, Ethelreda told Loy about the ring, and he he leveraged it into this plot to get Josto, right. you know, to show that Josto was um, trying to work people and we kind of turned turned Josto out from the in, internal management of the Fada family. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'll buy that. Uh, if if Orietta hadn't confessed to it, I don't know that they would have known for sure. But, I mean, she could have just been someone who stole his ring. But, yeah, but that was a major part of the, pl the major part of the play, is that she knew all this and she told them. I don't know. I was trying to. I was trying to deconstruct that to see how it all worked. Like, so did Arietta think if I tell them this, they're going to let me? Like, she's essentially telling them that I killed your father, <laughs> your Don. Well, she did tell them. So how does she? What's her end game? How does she think this is going to work out for her? See, that's another thing. She was a great character in the beginning episodes of this. And she was just 
goofy in these last two episodes. It, it was like a different character to me. She didn't have any of the suaveness of the, of the sneakiness or any of that that she had in the beginning. It was just, it was almost comical the way she was. I don't have any idea why she would have told them. And it didn't make any sense to me that she would have confessed that because she could have kept her uh, story. Yeah, maybe except for vanity. Like she thought, I'm not, they're going to, they're going to appreciate what I do for them and they're going to praise me and raise me up above, you know, and they bailed me out of jail and, you know, they bailed her out of jail so they could get their hands on her. Right. This is why they bailed her out. Did that worry you when she was leaving jail? Did you know what was going on? Worry me? No. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, did it, did you think about, okay, who, who would have bailed her out and why? No, it was pretty obvious. What? So, so you knew that it was them. Yeah, who else would it have been? I didn't. I mean, I, well, I were, I worried that it was them. I thought that would not be good, but. Um, well, there's no I, one, no one else to connect to her getting bailed out of jail. Okay. Well, no I mean, reason anyone else would bail her out of jail. True, that's true. But that doesn't mean that the story wouldn't have thrown something in there. Um, the Smutneys getting their house back was and their their house and business back. That was really cool when Lemuel left and gave them that. I like that. I, I, I'll find some positives in here because there was. I did like that. Um, but what about Josto pitching that temper tantrum? Yeah, well, he's pitched temper tantrums the whole season. That was a big one though, like laying in the room and knocking back the liquor and. Uh, wallowing and throwing glass and breaking stuff, and then he just goes out and kills Dr. Harvard and his father-in-law, or his soon-to-be father-in-law. Yep, he got a twofer. And without any concern for leaving behind any evidence either, he's just, he's not a chess player, that Josto. He just does what he's impulsively inclined to do. Didn't leave any um, room for getting away, because they're going to find the car, and they're going to find his fingerprints all over it. They're going to find 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 everything you know he just ruled by his emotions but i don't think that was any shock to us right he was always that way like that we call him a little petulant little child before and that's kind of what yeah. he is yeah i that was just kind of over the top do you think he did that because he was so upset about uh gatano and partly and, and do you buy that do you buy his um grief yeah, of course. Yeah. Part of it. I mean, partly. He was, I mean, the story made him close to Gaetano at the end, in the last couple episodes. Right. He kind of was won back over by Gaetano giving him praise, like mistakenly thinking he's brilliant because of this misinterpretation of what Gaetano thought Josta was doing. And it was just kind of stupidity, which is very much a part of the Cohen's storyboard process you know stupidity leads to fortune and misfortune what is it smart and stupid at the same time yeah that's not quite what i mean but that you know just fate you know stupid stupid dumb luck got josto in gaetano's good good side and he and then he kind of fell back in love with gaetano because gaetano admired him and he's such a sucker and 
his ego is so large that he he soaked up all the admiration and kind of fell in love with Gaetano. So I'm sure he was sad when he got he got taken out or take took himself out. And zero in the car with the bomb. Yeah, that's a credit to Loy more than anything, because Zero was a Zero character. We don't know anything about him. He's just a sweet little kid, it seems like, but he was just a, you know, a silhouette of a character. We don't really know anything about him. But I think that speaks of Loy more than anything. Yeah, and he smiles at him and everything. And then Happy gets his comeuppance in Spuds, while Leon gets his when he tries to get to Loy. Yeah, I think that's another kind of theme that Holly was throwing in here, that you have the weight of your past, you can't really ever escape it. And things you've done will come back to exact their, you know, due from you. Well, that's kind of what this whole episode was, though. They tricked Josto into coming out of his stupor by telling him they got Loy, and they call him, you know, they draw him out, and draw him into his own comeuppance. Now, that, that scene where he's in there with Orietta, did this seem like the same Orietta that we've seen before? I know it was like she was last episode, but prior to last episode. Which scene are you talking about now? Their little trial of Josto in the yeah. pool room? Yeah, I mean, she's she's a smart ass and she's she's too big for her britches you know she thinks she's free from repercussions of her activities and Josto did too and he thought he was like never going to be culpable for the, the things he did you know but Orietta's a little smarmy you know she thought she was going to get out of it very funny Mr. Bale poster like she you know she knew she knew what she was doing and trying to nail Josto. And she thought, for some reason, she thought there was an, an, a happy ending for her. Um, I don't know how she thought that, but she probably, out of vanity, again, for herself, thought that there was a way she'd wiggle off the hook. Well, she was saying that she felt like she had to tell the truth, but she just throws Josto right under the bus about... Literally, she says right there in front of everybody that he asked her to kill his dad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, we talked about that. I don't know what that, how that exempts her from any participation in the actual murder of the of the party that they're, you know, worried about. If if somebody asks you to, if you're the hitman and somebody pays you, you don't get off the hook because somebody paid you. You're still the one pulling the trigger. You're, you know, you're kind of part of it too. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. She's so, before these last couple episodes, she is so smooth. She was so sophisticated in her evilness. And now she just seems reckless. It was like she was unraveling or something. And I wish we could have seen what led to that, if that's what they meant to do. Or it could just be that this was such a hard character to play that when the actress got back into the role, it just felt, you know, she just couldn't well, like, pick up. I think they energy. kind of explained it. They talked when she and Josto had that heart to heart that one time. She talked about her Munchausen's mother, 
And we saw her banging her head against the wall a couple times. She she was never the cool, calm, smooth actor, you know. In front of people, she was, though. She could talk her way out of anything. And she got her way with her speech. And now she kind of, like, it was just different. Well, she's cornered now, and there's no way for her to get away with it now. Is her past caught up her? with her. That's the that's what okay, happened. Okay, but to... her past caught up with her when her boss called her in to fire her, and it was like she had rehearsed it a thousand times when she was caught. Um, yeah, but her boss firing her was not the same level of opponent that these that these professional not, criminals. That's not the point. The point is, it seemed like a different character, or she was coming unraveled. It either seemed like. It was just completely different in the last couple episodes to me. She didn't even seem like the same character. She was impressive to me in her in her evilness before. It was shockingly impressive. And now it was just cartoonish. The way she was just saying everything, admitting everything, um, in in front of everybody, like literally saying all the stuff she said. And okay. then I thought she was way. always a bit cartoonish, and I thought she always kind of had this 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 vein about her that thought where she thought she was invincible, even up to the end here she, until she's in the car on the way to the you know the forest. She thought Josta was going to be taken to the forest, I think, and then she's kind of surprised at the end. Were you still attracted to her in these last two? She looked good laying in the grave, Michelle. See, I don't think you were. I don't think it was the same. I do. I think she was. I think she was interesting. She. I was attracted to her because she's. I really am attracted to Jesse, whatever her name is, because she's a. She's an interesting actress, and this role was really interesting to me. It wasn't just that she was attractive physically. She was an interesting. This whole thing was interesting to me. No, that's what I mean. That's actually what I'm talking about. Because the beginning of it, I couldn't have agreed more, and then at the end, it was just. I don't know. It just felt really different to me. Um, but she and Josto, they bicker on the way to their final resting place. <laughs> They're bickering in the back of the car. And then Orietta wants Josto shot first as her final wish after she puts on lipstick. And then what was that face distorting in the car window? That was she a snowman. I didn't see the, the snowman. The snowman was in the car window. She, was he? Yeah, the snowman was in the car window next to her face. It's an what old car. It's not like a perfectly flat... Like, you look in a car window today, it's like a mirror. This is 1950, so, this, you know, when she moved a little bit, those, those windows in those older cars are not perfect, so it, her face got distorted a little bit. Cause she, but, the, yeah, the snowman was standing next to her. That's I did another, not see that. That's another pretty important thing, because I think, I think what happened is when we, when we saw the tracking shot going up the stairs where Arietta screamed because the snowman was next to her. Right. And, and at one point earlier in that episode or before that episode, Ethel Rita had asked, is there no way to cast him out, to cast him away from our family? Mm -hmm. I think the snowman was cast into Orietta, and that's why she screamed. It was like, oh, this is awful. I'm Now this thing is in me. And I think that was kind of the symbolism there. 
Because when she shot, those crows flew away, and that seemed kind of eerie and creepy. Because he was there when she was about to be killed, and she saw him. And then she gets killed, and the crows fly away. Like, that that was the release okay. of, of whatever his name was. Heath? Uh, Roach. Roach, yeah. Yeah. And so you are okay with the whole Roach story and this and and this Iceman being in this episode the way it was. It's goofy. I mean, it's goofy. It's like some you you some someone does something seemingly justice. It's it, you know, it's kind of justice that you're a slave you're taking slaves on a ship in miserable conditions and one of them gets a chance and they kill you. That seems like justice to me. So well, they were dying. So they that dying, so that yeah. so that evil guy then haunts the family of the one that kills him. I mean it's interesting. But it has nothing to do with really anything in this whole in this whole anthology. It was just like something thrown well, What did in. the spaceship have to do with anything in the in the box where the hand re- you split the switch and the hand reaches up and flips the switch the other way? Yeah. It's all but it's that, all symbolism, you know. But that was little bitty things. You know, it was like this whole episode that they did. We talked about this in the last episode that you and I did together. If it's if it's a little piece of something, then I can you know, try to weave it in to the story in my mind at least. But when they take these huge chunks of the, of time and try to do this with it, then I think it... I think the message is that the things you do in your past stay with you. And that this guy had strangled this sea captain and he haunted their family for 150 years or however long until another whatever event changed it so the things you do in your past come along with you and you're and sometimes haunt you and your family the things that your great-great-grandfather did come and haunt you that was the exact message with this with the um not the smutneys but whatever the whatever the unmarried name of right smutney mrs smutney was Okay, then we have the Goldilocks scene. We come up on the Goldilocks scene where the uh, cannons get home from, looks like church, and they find Satchel. What'd you think about that? Um, yeah, well, one other thing about the ring was that he was called, he was accused by, Josta was accused by eBay violence of having the crown. Like, this was the crown. You were after the crown. And now the family business doesn't work. It's too many crazy people in the family prevents the family business from working. So now it's a corporation. Well, right. And that, you know, it's so difficult because you can't, I mean, because family, you can't treat family like you could treat business associates, I guess. Well, in the family, you can have wild, wacky, you know, personalities that are not capable in families and they sh- you know there's no merit it's not a merit meritocracy it's a you know it's almost like a monarchy like you were son of the leader so now you're the leader that doesn't make any sense so now right. it's a corporation I, don't know, I thought that was interesting that eBay put that in 
And eBay, was, eBay was like the interim CEO. You know, he wasn't going to be the leader for long because we know Joe Bulow takes over and becomes the leader. Well, I mean, he's what seventy years old anyway. Yeah. So, I don't know. I kind of like that. I kind of like that. That was the lesson that the monarchy changed to the corporate. You know the. The smart, the smarter people are going to rise, not the family. The family doesn't just automatically honor family. It's yeah, the but corporation. you know, I mean, like if a family owns a business, then it's not left to a corporation. It's left to the family. So you still have that as well. I guess they just changed, um, um, what mob rule, right? out of that because I think it's corporate I think it's more of a corporate it's more of a business than a family yeah it's a business decision to put the better leader in charge than to just put the son in charge because he's the relative of the father well right but if you know if your father owns a business and I mean that's what happens not if you have shareholders well in a (laughs) you know, a board and you get elected. And I mean, that's kind of what the point is, Michelle. That's what the crime was. And that's what it became. It was a family endeavor. And then it became more of a business. I think that's truth. I think I don't think that's a story in Noah Hawley's head. I think that's how the crime history of crime evolved. I think that's the story of American crime. I think that's how it evolved. I don't have any anything to refute that at all I'm it just was odd to me the way Ibal handled that it just didn't feel like him to me I don't know not not the person that we've come to know I wish if that were him they had shown us that or just pieces of that so we could have like seen it and had the character development grow in place of feeling like he was somebody else and then you know, throwing that kind of on us because it just felt like a different character to me. They could have had anybody sitting there. It didn't have to be him saying this stuff. Joe, I think the guy's name was Joe. And that would have been okay because I didn't know him. Yeah, but, but Joe, Joe Bulow at that time wasn't in the corporate structure in line to be the person who played that role. That was Ebal's role. He was the consigliere. He was the he was the smartest guy near the top that could take over and re- help this reorganization come off smoothly. Right. It probably worked, Michelle. In the Fada family, the, not the Fada family, but the but the crime group that the Fada family was a part of, that greater group from New York that had a little side business in Kansas City, which is essentially what the Fadas were, that they pulled it together pretty smoothly. You know, they eliminated their all their competition. It's brutal. It's not nice. It's brutal. They, you know, they stole Loy's. They made a deal with Loy, and ten minutes later, stole it from him. I think we're talking about two different things, though, Mike. You're talking about the way things happened, and that they probably did happen that way, and it's not nice. And I agree with, you know, I mean, I've got, I've got nothing to disagree with any of that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about these characters and what they showed us of these characters and then just flipped a switch and did something else. And I don't like that in writing. It doesn't feel authentic Yeah, but I am saying that. I am saying that I think I saw Ebal being a smart 
organizer of of events to help his corporate group advance to the next phase. I saw him as that. Okay. I, I mean, I didn't get that from him at all at the beginning. I mean, not he was that I friends with Doctor Senator because it furthered the interest of the New York crime family. Not but to he just had be respect. friends. Of, well, he did have respect. That's fine. But then he didn't have respect for what he did for Loy. What he said to Loy, he he lied, and that does not go along with the person that he showed himself to me to be. But anyway, I think we're just beating a dead horse with this. I think you feel one way and I feel another. So, Okay, so the Goldilocks scene where Loy and Buell come home from church, the family. Why are they doing this? Why are they doing like Wizard of Oz and fairy tales and everything like that? Did you read anything? I don't know. I don't know why he was so enamored with the Wizard of Oz and why he had to inject the Cinderella story and the porridge and the three beds and the middle one was the most comfy and you know the Yiddy Milligan that little boy's been sleeping in your bed do you like that so he kills so sat so um god I forgot his name Rabbi Rabbi kills the other right his, his equal opponent yeah I don't know I, I that is that is um that is a very, very valid criticism of this season. Is that Loy, that um, Noah Hawley had a lot of time to reorganize this, and maybe had important reasons that he needed to organize things. So he kind of he kind of glommed some stuff together, and maybe he had too much time to think. I mean, I think Sarah and I might have talked about this. He had too much time to think, and he didn't have a. He didn't have a smart teacher to take away his painting before he glooped too much paint on it to make it messy, you know. <laughs> okay, I can um, I can agree with that because I I don't get it. But right here, once Satchel's home and they're hugging him and they're they're loving him, it looks like at this point that Loy is coming out on top, and Ethel Rita has done her job. And, you know, air quotes, deserves her house being returned to her, her house and their business, because it looks like she has um, given Loy everything he needs at this point. I think it's important to notice, too, that Satchel appears to be super unemotional in all of these scenes. In, in the reunion scene, he's just like, well, it's a hug. I like hugs. I'll do that. But when he saw Lloyd dying, he was just kind of sitting there watching him. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't really affected very deeply by it. So I think there's a, I think that's a part of the past that Lloyd gave Satchel away to the other side for purposes of the crime endeavor. And Satchel remembers that. Satchel was not very emotional around Lloyd and the reunion and the, um, murder of, of seeing of seeing Loy killed no I mean I even made a note about that it's like you know that's not who you want beside you if you're needing some medical help because he didn't respond really at all not only was he not emotional but I mean he didn't even hold pressure on the wound he don't know how bad this is he just sits there well he listened to um, what's her name when she shushed him he did sit there quietly 
So then we go to Ibal, and he's now in the Fada big chair talking to Loy. This is what we talked about just a minute ago, but he's telling him all's forgiven, but he's adjusted their deal a little. And Loy says that Ibal's taken half their business, and they had a deal. They made a deal in the park. He crumples the paper. And this is where Ibal says, like what you're talking about, that it's a national chain, and Loy isn't national, and so he works for them now. Don't look at it like we took half your business. Look at it like we left you with half your business. And if you come after me, there's somebody behind me and somebody behind him, and it's never going to stop. And... Yeah, so Loy gets slapped with this hard reality that he's been want, he's been had by Ebal. So he's he's he doesn't like it, but he's pretty much prepared to live with it when he sees that all right, maybe this will be less stressful and somebody else can run the thing and I'll you know, I'll keep my boutique little crime family. I won't get the credit card master business out of it and I'm you know, I'm kinda of getting kinda of screwed here. But he, he looked like he could have been happy had more of his past not come back to haunt him. So I think he kind of ex- he ends up part, you know, for a small time, part time, accepting this peaceful demotion. This peaceful, yeah. you know, getting chopped in half. It's peaceful. It, it leaves him in a peaceful place. Yeah, I don't think he liked it. But I think when they showed him at home and he's looking through the window, I think he saw his family and he realized that really nothing is worth uh, your son being taken away is kind of how I saw that. And yeah, that's what I just said. He accepts yeah. the piece, the trade-off of having a, you know, the master, being the master criminal. He has a smaller, smaller part of the pie, but he has this piece. But he really doesn't. He doesn't have anything. Ibal told him that he's working for them now. He's nothing but but a a arm of them. He really took everything away from him. But I don't think it mattered as much to Loy, like like you said at this point. Yeah, go but, home, the war's over. Just like yeah. he's ex- he's smart. Loy's smart enough to know he could have he could have been petulant like Josto and Got, gone on a bender and thrown glasses and then gone and killed people. It would, it would have been stupid. It would have been unstrategic. He's very smart, so he accepts this. He accepts it. Go home. The war's over. Not not what we expected. Not what we wanted. But this is what it is, and we'll make the best of it. Okay, but now honestly, if I'm being honest, that doesn't ring true to me either. The only thing that makes that ring partially true is that Satchel's back home. And it meant a whole lot to him. And he realized because of his son. Because prior to that, he could have done that at any point. But he was pushing and pushing and pushing to take more. And I don't really know what would make him just accept this at this point. Well, sometimes life does things to you that makes you accept things that you would not have done on your own. You have you get sick. You know, you get cancer or something. You see, wow, I only have these many years left i'm gonna i'm gonna change i'm gonna see things differently he's this is forced upon him for sure but i think he's smart enough to see it and accept it and make the best of it yeah maybe i mean i i wish that he had had more time that we could have seen him like go through the emotions of that in place of just feeling like because i just said literally moments ago that he's on top 
and he's the winner in the Well, he thought he was. And then he goes in there, and he realizes he's, you know, below the bottom. He's not even really a part of it anymore. And we don't even see any of the stages of anything that you would maybe feel. It's just Yeah, like, but time, I mean, time is what they had, and they they used the time the way they used it. We can't I know, change it. I know, because... How many times have, have you heard people say... You know, I've got, I didn't realize at the time, but how fortunate I was that I got fired from that job or I had this event. Seemingly totally negative event happened to somebody, but then they, it just opens another path for them that makes them see that they're better off on the, the path they never would have picked their, their, on their own, that they were forced to go down, but it made them realize something that they didn't know before. That's but what see, happened to Loy. You're doing it again, though. You're you're taking off with with the potentials in the story, and I'm doing nothing but just trying to critique exactly. Yeah, but what Michelle, it's a sto- It's a it's made to make you think about this stuff. They don't hand you the, the you know the. They don't hand you the 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 paint by numbers way to the ending. You got to think through the, some of the stuff, and they that's what they that's the implication. This has never been what Fargo has been, in in my view of it. Never. That's never how they've done this. Certainly not to this extreme before. They would put stuff out there that you would question. But this is... That is not what a story is to me. A story is not something, you know, to... Ma- a, a television show is not necessarily something to make you uh, question life decisions. That's why I think Noah Hawley's so freaking full of himself. Uh, it's, it, it just feels... It, it's really annoying to me when I think about it like that. Because this is a TV show. And we watch it to be entertained and maybe to grow a little bit and learn something, but not certainly to get like these life lessons. That's exactly why I watch it. That's why I like the bowling alley scene, and that's why I like thinking about what happen. You know, what hap- What does happen when you, if you do something? You know, when you're when you're confronted with the pearly gates. What you know, I like thinking of like ephemeral philosophic things like that. Well, I do too. And I don't need I just, this story with a bow on the top at the end in order to be happy. I like the I like thinking and being maybe not certain about the way certain things turned out. Yeah, I mean, I don't in a story. I want my stories to have a beginning and a middle and an end. And I too think about philosophical things, but I don't need Noah Hawley's guidance in it. Well, why That's do you all. watch Fargo? Because I want to be entertained. And all the other series up until this point have done that. All, all the other anthologies of this have done that. Well, we don't know what happened to VM Varga. I don't have to know everything. I don't have to know everything. But I just don't want to feel like someone's trying to guide my... Um, I don't know what spirituality I guess is what you're saying you're not trying to guide it but maybe to make you question it maybe to make you think about it I just think that's so freaking pompous I can't stand that I just cannot stand that we don't know this person it's just not my thing that's not my thing so 
All right. Well, again, I would question why do you, you know, that that is kind of the Cohen-esque model. It's like, what what's the meaning of life and religion and fate and luck and unluck and all, you know, it's out of your grasp. You have to, you have to think about it. No, you know? and all that's fine. I just, in the overall scheme of things, I do like it when stuff makes me think. But when they're trying to guide my thinking, I suppose. Well, how is he trying to guide your thinking? Well, I mean, it's just every single thing that you've sat here and said, almost. It just feels very guided to me. It's like they're saying, we should think this. And we, we and he said it in the interviews he did. Kind of. It's, it, it, it was really like... I just, I, I don't want to get spiritual. I don't want anyone to try to do spiritual awakening on a, on a, you know, TMZ show or whatever. It just feels inauthentic to me. It really, it really bugs me. It bugs me. Well, to go see, through. I don't think I, if I'll speak for myself, I don't think I choose which way I want my spiritual awakenings to come to me. Like if it's not through a church or a bible or something i don't get angry because it's somebody that made me think a certain way that isn't the way i thought i was supposed to find those answers or those questions maybe is a better way to say it i just like the questions no matter where they come from well i'm not disagreeing with with the questions i'm just disagreeing with the guidance of it it's all he's doing is asking is presenting you with questions i don't feel like that He's not telling you what to think. How is yeah, he telling I mean, you what to think? Well, I mean, he, he said he was. How? What know, did he say? About Ethelreda going on and having this so-and-so life, and we're just supposed to know that, and that's good enough. And sometimes yeah, but that's Michelle, good enough. Michelle, she looks happy. She's reading the report back oh to her. Oh, my gosh, 15 minutes later. That's not your life unless she gets hit by a bus. That's not your life. We your can't life. see an intelligent young person going off to a first of all reading her report apparently was successful because she's proud enough to read it back to her parents and they're smiling and all that's all good then she appears to be in some far off educational process she's either at the art museum in Paris or she's in some she's traveled somewhere she got out of her little situation at the Smutney funeral home she's not down there pumping you know formaldehyde into dead criminals she's like educating herself that's an implication that she's she's moving on up and she's advancing in the world. How is that telling you? You, can't, you should. I mean, I see that. I, I, it's a hint that that's what's happening, but I see that as a positive. See, her her, her intelligence is rewarded. Okay. All right, well, let's try to wrap this up. So she, I think Lloyd does accept that he's about to be happy until what happens with um, Zelmar. And that's, again, the thing that she carried, you know, he, or he carries, they both carry, I guess. He turned Deffy onto where they were, and she knows that. So Zelmar's back to get her revenge. And then I thought it was interesting that she kneels to his eye level when when he falls to his knees, bleeding to death. Yeah, she wouldn't get out of his face. She stayed face to face with him the whole way down. 
So I don't know if that quite meant respect, but that's how Loy interpreted his best way to, in, you know, initiate respect with zero, teaching right. him about eye level. That's how they. That's how somebody shows you that they respect you, or maybe just added meaningfulness to Zelmar being like, "Do you see my eyes? Because I just got you back for what you did to me." Like it was more. It was like, "You're not going to just die. You're going to have to look me in the eyes while you die." Right. And then Satchel also went at eye level to Loy when he right. came up to him. Right. I think the eye level thing was kind of important. I don't know. I like the eye level thing. Everything about this, the eye level thing. See, that's the kind of things I like. I like that in stories. And I like how it's uh, consistent throughout the whole story. I like that. Yeah, I agree with all that. And I think that was meaningful. And then, I, I don't know, in my notes, then I had Althorita reading the report to her parents. I don't know if this happened before this or not, but... She, no. Then, no what? No, you're right. It was after that. So then the, she talks about the paths being separate. And, you know, this is interesting, too, that the victors and all the wars get to tell the, the rest of us what the history needs to look like. Right. Right? Because they have the power. Right. Victors write the history. And then she's in the scene with the painting and the suitcases. The, the Moorish Kings of Granada. Summary right. execution under the Moorish Kings of Granada. Which and I she think... Said this was her history, which I thought was pretty profound. Yeah, there's a question there. Is that her taking Loy's painting and now she has it in some apartment somewhere and you could call it Kansas City or you could call it Paris or wherever she is. Did she take his painting as a as a as a trinket like Orietta did or is she literally in Paris at the museum with the original or has she just moved in with Lemuel have they gotten married no because it was his dad's you're pain. such a cornball god they she's not married to Lemuel we I guarantee you yeah you we do don't know that. okay I've talked to Noah that? Hawley and he told me Lemuel was not the dating material that... yeah he probably told you a hundred other things oh we're supposed god. to know by now all right, so I think she's actually in Paris. I don't think okay. she took his painting. I think they made a point. I think that, but it doesn't mean anything. No, it's my, it's my thought. I don't. I don't think she took a tr a trinket from. I don't think she played, pulled an Orietta and took his painting. I think they made a point of her saying that's just a copy, so that later on they could make this strong statement that she made it to the original. I agree. All right, and that's the end, Michelle. We see a little bit of an epilogue with Mike Milligan driving aimlessly yep. around with one of the kitchen brothers. Yep. Um, the other, if you remember, the other kitchen brother was killed by Hansi Dent in season two. Um, and then we know Mike Milligan has that Vic Mackey ending, which is kind of creepy that he's, that he's stuck in a desk job after being so smart and such a... He's pretty. He's a pretty brutal, evil gangster, Mike Milligan, and then he's got stuck behind this desk by the by the New York bosses. I do think it would be cool to go back and watch season two again with this, uh, knowing knowing who that is and his history. There is a scene on. Um, there is a YouTube where it's like the best of Mike Milligan compilation. And it mostly shows you how brutal he is. I don't know if did you and I talk about that in our earlier no. one of our mm -hmm. earlier one one is where he goes 
he's got some guy that he's about to kill and he goes there's a new king and king does two things to prove that he's just he shows mercy and he shows how brutal he is and the guy goes well i'll take the mercy and he goes too late i just showed i just gave the maid like a thousand dollars or something so he was left for the brutal and then he got the brutal got shotgunned or something but Mike, little poor little sweet Satchel is a pretty mean dude when he becomes Mike Milligan. Yeah. Yeah, so if there, saw a lot. If there is a season five, what do you think it's about, Michelle? We've jumped all over time, pre-characters, pre, pre and then... I mean, what, what did we start in the 90s, went to the 70s, went to the... Back to the eighties, or I can't even remember. But they're all—they're not sequential. They—they jump around. They're odd. I'm guessing if Noah Hawley does it again, he'll bring it current day. That would be my guess. And by current day, I mean you know something after 2010 or something. That would be my guess because he really likes to make social commentary, and I think we've had a lot of stuff that you could make some social commentary on. So. That just just to throw it out there, first first thought. That well, it seems guess. that's what his implication is when he says, "I have a lot to say." Right. Because of, I mean, look. Well, this year has had a lot of stuff in it that yes. you could, as a writer, find a lot to talk about. Sure. But so. he he also said in what I read that it probably would not be his next project. So we're talking about something down the road a little bit if if he keeps true to that. Yeah, and you know he's free to do whatever he wants. He's mm-hmm. he's he's a creative person, so he's free to create whatever he wants. I, I guess that's what annoys me so much, you know, because I know he's so good, and this just wasn't good. And I'm not the only person who feels that way, you know. I mean, this was not good, and he is so good, and I guess I'm just disappointed in it. You know, this is the first podcast we've done since. February. I think we finished in February. And now it's what? You know, it's December. And this is the first podcast we've done and I had such hopes for it. I was I, I kinda dreaded it because it looked it it looked so big and in in in, in encompassing it had so many characters and I was dreading having to learn all these characters and I got into it and I just loved it and I loved how it started and everything and then it just feels like the end it's like they just gave up or something it's hard to believe this was the the original ending to this story it was almost like they got to season or episode seven or eight and they didn't know how it was going to go from there and they just like butchered it yeah i wouldn't call it that they butchered it i I agree it's not the best season of fargo i i was entertained i liked watching the episodes um I think I told Sarah, it's like watching, you know, if you call it 11 different hours of television, just watching those separate 11 hours, even though there wasn't a great, perfect plot and a thread running through it where, bing, at the end, it, there was a period at the end and you said, and you were satisfied and said, ah, there, there's the solution. Those 11 hours were still entertaining to me to watch. And that's how I'm going to choose to look at this season of Fargo. But see, I would have liked that better. I could have accepted that better than them stringing it together the way they did. I don't know. It's hard for me to believe that when they were filming episode one that they knew what they wanted this last episode to be. Yeah, but we may not, we may not have seen the exact 
storyboard that Noah Hawley plotted out when he started season four. I feel like we probably didn't because it just doesn't even ring true. It doesn't ring true to what the story um, could have been or felt like it should have been. And look, I'm sitting here throwing off on Noah Hawley. I can't do it. You know, I can I mean, he's doing something I cannot do. Yeah, but that doesn't mean anything. People watch professional football. They can't do it. They can be no, entertained but I'm by just it. Saying, no, but I mean, I, you know, I'm coming down really hard on him, and I did in this, and I stand by, you know, what I say. But but he he is a genius, and I guess that's what is so frustrating is because I do feel like he's a genius, and I just don't feel like he it, it's shown in this. All right, well, that's it for Fargo, Michelle. What are you going to do with the rest of your life? <laughs> I, I'm not sure. <laughs> I guess I have plenty of time to contemplate. Another podcast we do, I do with Jeannie's Succession, and I just heard that it's not supposed to come back till the summer. And I don't even know, know if it's the summer of 2021 or next summer. So who knows with all this crazy uh, rescheduling and COVID stuff, what's, what's coming up and what's not coming up anymore. Yeah. Yeah, I don't even know how much they're filming. I haven't heard of anything, you know, coming on. we got to find something new. All right, Michelle, how do people reach you to tell you that you were totally right and I was totally wrong? Um, <laughs> on Twitter, I'm at Michelle from TN. All right, and I'm at Scathing Tweets, and this is it for Fargo Season 4 on West Coast Project. That's it. See you on the next podcast, Michelle, wherever that might be. Okay, we'll see you then. Bye. Bye-bye.